Well, good morning. Oh, sh- Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> uh, if you don't know, my name is Scott Irwin, and I'm the director of Campus Life here at Bethel Hope Reportage. Uh, one of the things I do is I oversee the student ministry here at this campus, and, and probably every other week I get uh, either a parent or a high schooler that come up to me asking about a student ministry. Like, do they have it at this campus? Do they do it? And I thought I would take this moment to say, yes, we do, and it's awesome, and you should come. So if you are a parent of a middle schooler or a high schooler, uh, come on by on Wednesday nights. We have a blast. We're, we're uh, in a series right now called Jesus Loves, and we're looking at the life and ministry of Jesus and uh, seeing how we can be called to see those, those outcasts that, pe- that Jesus himself saw. So uh, stop on by uh, and, uh, and have a great time with us. Uh, I have some, some good news and I have some bad news this morning. Uh, I'm going to give you the good news first. Uh, I don't get very many weekends to teach here at Bethel Hope Reported, so the good news is if you don't like the message, you don't have to hear me for a few more months. Uh, the bad news, the bad news, if you like the message this morning, then you don't get to hear me for a few more months. <laughs> so, however, however it's received this morning, uh, I'm very excited to dig into this passage of, of Romans. Paul is, is building here in Romans to this, uh, this amazing crescendo in verses 31 to 39, but they didn't give me those verses, um, and we still have some time to dig through before we get to those truths. Uh, In the flow of of Romans 8, right here, right now in verses 26 and 27, Paul is dealing with uh, a corrupted creation. He's dealing more specifically with with corrupted bodies, our our physical bodies. And and this morning, we are going to see a God who sends help to us in the midst of that problem. Uh, Our God who doesn't just guide us, right, but, but fights our battles with us so that he might be glorified. I'm, I'm really excited to look at this passage this morning, and, and we're going to see here uh, every member of the Trinity engaged on our behalf as we deal with sin, which has corrupted not only our, our spirits, but our bodies as, as well. In short, we're going to see the goodness and the grace of God this morning. Are you guys looking forward to that? Yes. I think some of us uh, came into church this morning very much so feeling what Paul has been writing about in these past few verses. Romans 8 speaks to our weakness. Some of us might be feeling weak this morning. Some of us are dealing with uh, sickness and injury. Some of us are are feeling maybe a little overwhelmed by our to-do list. Uh, Some of us are looking at our March Madness brackets and realizing there's mathematically no way to win. <laughs> so wherever, wherever you're at this morning, wherever you're at this morning, we're going to look at this, at this weakness and how God steps in to this problem. Um, my, my father-in-law used to play this game with his daughters. He's got two daughters. Uh, my wife, Bethany, uh, is the oldest by two years. And, and when they were little, probably four years old, two years old, uh, he would play this game with them in the living room. And, and Mike would get down on his knees in the middle of the living room, and he would have Monica, the other girls, run at them as, as fast as they could to try to knock him over. And uh, Monica, a little two-year-old Monica, would get up and she would toddle her, her way as fast as her little legs would take her. 
uh, at Mike and hit Mike, and Mike would fall over, and he would say, oh, Monica, you're so strong. There's no way I could stay on my knees. And uh, Bethany, being the oldest, uh, has this complex where, oh, I could do that. I could do that better. Watch me do it best, right? And so she would get as back far as she could in the living room, and she would run full speed at Mike, and Mike wouldn't move. And Bethany would bounce ping off of, off of Mike and roll across the living room. And Mike would look at her and go, weak! <laughs> and this has created such a tension in, in Bethany's life. She's still so bitter about this. Right? None of us, uh, my wife, she bleeds justice and fairness. And that just wasn't fair, right? Just wasn't fair. But no one, no one likes to be called weak, right? No matter if we are or are not, no one likes to be called weak. But today, this morning, in these verses, we're going to see and look at a passage that presents this problem of weakness not as, as bad, but actually as an opportunity. This morning, we're going to see that there is grace in the midst of weakness. And not just that there is grace, but that this weakness is an opportunity for us to experience God's grace in a way that we might not have ever gotten to experience. Paul speaks to a very specific type of weakness here, a very specific problem. It's a, uh, a spiritual one, and it deals with our inability to pray and our inability to know what to pray for. So if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, please turn with me to Romans 8. We're going to be in verses 26 and 27. If you don't have your um, Bible, you can steal from somebody to your left or your right, or you can look on the screen. This is what Paul has to say about this problem of weakness. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And what we find in these two short verses is that there are, uh, there are three people present in this passage, and they're going to provide us an opportunity to see what Paul is saying here and, and how we can solve this weakness as it pertains to our prayer life. In these two verses, we see the Spirit, we see the saints, and we see the Father. And each one has a part to play in sorting out this weakness that we find in ourselves. Each one performs this role with specific characteristics, right, do their, their station in this passage. First, we're going to find that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit sent from God, is a mediator and a helper. The Spirit mediates and the Spirit helps. We find ourselves in this passage, those adopted into the family of God as the saints, and the saints are called to petition and they're called to receive. And lastly, we see God the Father here, and the Father knows and he wills. And so let's look at the first part of this passage and the first person as we see what can be done about our weakness when it comes to prayer. We're going to find that the Spirit mediates and helps in the midst of our weakness. In verse 26, if you can see, uh, reads, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Over the 
past few weeks, we've been looking at how God intervenes in the midst of our suffering. So I won't spend too much time on the fact that uh, this world is, is fading away, right? Uh, last week, Bethany and I had to take her car into the shop, and it was a very expensive reminder that things don't get better on their own, right? You try the, the hope it gets better strategy, but hope is not a strategy. This, this world is, is fading away, right? We can't hope that things get better. Two weeks ago, Dan explained that all of creation, including us, we groan because things are not as they should be, right? God created Eden, and, and here we are. God created perfect bodies, and here we are. So some of you are like, yeah, here I am, right? <laughs> Why am I still single? <laughs> God, God created these perfect bodies, right? And, and here we are. God created the world without sin and without decay, but here, here we find ourselves. And what a terrible message to preach if there was no hope of something better. Right? If there wasn't hope of something more. What a terrible message to have to receive if we're left in the pit of our weakness. But we serve a God who will not just pull us up from the pit at some future time to receive these glorified bodies. We, we serve a God who stepped into the pit with us through Jesus Christ, who experienced our pain and our weakness so that it might be redeemed. But, but our God goes one step further, we find here in these two verses. He not just, he's not just going to uh, uh, fix things in the future. He didn't just step into uh, our, our pain and our suffering in the past. God sent his spirit to help us in our weakness. Right Here in the pit, right here, right now, we have the spirit of the living God helping us as we navigate this fallen world in an attempt to redeem it for his glory. And, and can, we, can we take a second and just pause and think about what an incredible reality that is? That the spirit of the living God, right? The spirit of the, of the, the universe creating the, the creation sustaining, the death overcoming God is present and active and living in our life here and now. That, that as I speak right now, the spirit of the living God is helping me preach his word. That the spirit of the living God is helping you receive his word and apply it to your own life. That as we go through our days and our weeks, the spirit walks with us, guiding us and connecting us to God the Father. Because he is from the Father. What an, what an amazing truth, Amen. right? And I think sometimes an, an under-realized truth. But before we get any further into this passage, I think we need to figure out what type of, of weakness Paul is speaking of right here, right? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What is he speaking to? Is this physical weakness, as we've kind of seen in the, in the past few verses of Romans 8? Is Paul speaking about the weakness of our, our body, or is this a spiritual weakness? Is Paul, Paul instead speaking here of our, our sin nature and our inability to glorify God if we're serving the, the flesh? And when we find uh, words in Scripture that uh, we have a question about, we need to remember that these are first and foremost letters. Right? This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's inspired by God and therefore it's without fault. But Paul uses this idea of weakness in Romans but also in some other letters that he has written. 
And, and this is an important word to understand here, this weakness. How practically can I expect the Spirit to help me? What does it look like, right? If, if I do not know how God's supposed to work, then how can I give him glory and how can it increase my faith when he does show up and work in my life? It's all about him and we need to understand Scripture in order that we can give him the glory that he deserves. So what is this weakness? Paul uses this term weakness in, in Romans 6, and when he uses it there, it denotes weakness of human nature, right? It's got this kind of like this dual connotation. It's speaking both to the physical weakness of, of being human, and it's speaking to the, the spiritual weakness of being in a fallen state. Elsewhere in, in 1 Timothy, Paul uses this term weakness very clearly as sickness. Timothy is sick, and Paul is speaking towards that. So what is this? Is it physical? Is it spiritual? If we look at the context of Romans 8, Paul has just been speaking of the bondage of all creation and a longing for the redemption of our physical bodies. After this passage, Paul moves into all of the the spiritual realities that are true of those who are found in Christ. And so because of the term, because of the context, I believe that this idea of weakness that Paul uses in verse 26 has both physical and spiritual connotations. This help that we receive from the Spirit helps us as we deal with the physical problems of life, right? As I walk through cancer with my family member, as I deal with the aches and pains of aging, the Spirit is there. However, the Spirit also helps us in our sin, as, as Paul would say, in the weakness of this flesh, our sin nature, this desire to rebel against God and pursue false idols. And so the rest of this passage is a, is a specific description of how the Spirit accomplishes this help. The first person at work in this passage is the Spirit. And what we're going to find is that the Spirit mediates and the Spirit helps as we deal with this problem of our weakness. The Spirit mediates from God, and he helps the saints by understanding. He understands the situation that the saints are in because of his position in our lives. He is there with us, and he understands the will of the Father, and he prays accordingly. As we are going to move further into this passage, we find a second group of people The second group of people is the saints. This is us, those who have been adopted into the family of God. And the saints have a problem here. We have a problem here. And we're called to do two things in response to this problem. What is this problem? What is this problem? The two things that the saints are supposed to do in response to this problem are petition and receive. We're called to ask God and we're called to receive help from God. As we continue reading in verse 26, It says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, right? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is the weakness, that we don't know what to pray for as we ought. And this is a very real, this is a very uh, significant problem in our lives, right? In our finiteness and in our ignorance, we don't know what to pray for. And I've known this problem I've felt this problem in a very real way. I, I feel like you have too. I remember um, after college, after college, I moved around a few times looking for a job that would put me through grad school. And uh, I landed in Dayton, Ohio, and 
I had this whole plan set out after, uh, after my undergrad, and literally nothing went to plan, right? Nothing went to plan. I was not working in ministry. I was not married and did not have kids yet. I had not found my uh, life's calling and passion that got me out of bed every morning with a bright smile on my face ready for the day. Instead, I was working as a security guard. I was slowly running out of money, always questioning whether or not I should put guac on my Chipotle bowl. It was always no. It's always no. I was very, very far from being married. This season of life, I didn't know what to pray for. Should I pray for an opportunity in ministry? Or should I pray that I would continue to be a witness in the workplace that I found myself? Should I pray that uh, lotto numbers would descend from the heavens, right? Fill my bank account. Or should I pray that God would keep me poor, like Christ? Should I pray for a relationship? Or should I pray that God would teach me the value of singleness? I think this is an issue that a lot of us experience. We don't know what to pray for or how to pray. Uh, Maybe you've experienced this in in a more practical way. Uh, When my wife Bethany and her sister Monica were young, probably around the time that she was so weak, um, (laughs) Monica had a really hard time communicating with mom and dad, uh, with Mike and Charlene. She would walk into the kitchen, right, maybe you've uh, had this with your kids or a sibling, and Monica would walk in and, you know, try to communicate, and no words came out, right? Monica knew exactly what she wanted. She knew exactly what she was saying, but mom and dad had no concept. Like, these aren't words, Monica. You're not using words. What are you saying? But, Bethany understood what Monica was saying, right? Monica would, would walk into the kitchen, and, and she would look at mom, and she would go, blah, 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 blah. And mom would look at Bethany, and she would go, Bethany, what is Monica saying? And Bethany would go, Monica, please repeat that. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Bethany would go, oh, yes, yes, okay. Uh, mom, Monica would like you to know that she uh, put the cat in the toilet. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you, Bethany, so much. Uh, maybe you've had this same experience with with your kids, but the reality is, the reality is that when it comes to prayer, we are finite people, and we are only able to see and experience this moment, right, the here and the now. We have, I have no idea if tomorrow is going to come. I have no idea the best course that my life could take. I'm terrible at this, right? My life plan has changed seven, like seven times already this year. I have no idea the best course that my life should take it. And when you really think about it, we are probably the poorest stewards of the life that we have been given. We're unable to know the future. We're unable to know all of the ramifications of our actions. But God gives us this wonderful and amazing thing called prayer, right? Literally a direct line to God where we have the opportunity to be heard by the king, to disclose to God the deepest desires of our hearts and to uh, put into words like an opportunity to tell God which way I think the ship should go. What an amazing blessing that prayer is. But 
Could you imagine for a second if there were no safeguards to prayer? What if I had full control over God's actions through prayer? What if God answered all of my prayers always? We have a a desire for control. I think we have a problem with control. Uh, Imagine for a moment, maybe imagine for a moment, that you did something amazing and received a compound fracture because it was so cool. And as they're wheeling you into the emergency room, the the nurses, they're there and they begin prepping you, right? IV, and they're taking all your vitals. Uh, Your husband's already passed it on the floor over there. And as they're gurneying you into the operating room, in incredible pain, you're just waiting for the anesthesia, right? Waiting for the anesthesia. And as they gurney you you in there, uh, the, the surgeon looks expectantly at you. And you look back at him, and he looks at you, and you think, what am I paying you for? Give me the drugs, right? (laughs) And that's when the surgeon looks at you and says, how do you think I should proceed? Where do you think I should make the incision? How do you think I should best clean this affected area? What method should I use to set the bone? And then you pass out, right? (laughs) We have a, a desire for control. We have a desire for control. But we find that so often this control is something that we do not want and do not need, right? Prayer without the gift of the Spirit would be like having complete control over the surgeon's actions without having a knowledge of the human body. Control can be dangerous. I think in many situations we realize that we are not God And we do not want to be. This is a constant reminder that we find in Romans, right? The weakness of of human existence, the weakness of the human experience compared to this overwhelming, infinite nature of God and all of his characteristics. Praise God that he doesn't answer all of our prayers because who knows the damage that would be done because of our ignorance. Instead, we have a very specific grace from God in the form of the Spirit. And so, a moment on prayer. If, if you believe that you're praying according to God's will, don't stop praying until God either changes your situation or God changes your prayers. Right? There's, there's no losing. There's no losing here in prayers. Either you're praying in line with God's will or you're not. If you continue to pray circles around whatever situation or or character in your heart, one of two things are going to happen. God is going to change that situation, or he's going to change your heart as you continue to pour it out to him. Two uh, brief encouragements when it comes to prayer. First, do not let your inability to pray or your lack of understanding of what to pray for stop you from seeking God's will and action in your life. We're going to find in a few verses that the Spirit is constantly working on our behalf to intercede for God in spite of our lacking prayer. However, do not take this opportunity to not pray right? Just because the Spirit's interceding for us, don't take it as an opportunity to not pray because you're going to be cheating yourself of an opportunity to get better at praying the will of God. Second, don't pray vague prayers. 
God does not answer vague prayers. I know that in my life, my prayers often trend toward vagueness in uh, a laziness to put words to whatever desires are in my heart or a desire to not pray incorrectly or, you know, whatever it is, a desire to eat quicker. Uh, my prayers tend towards laziness and vagueness. However, when we don't pray specifics, we have no idea how God is answering those prayers and we cheat ourselves of an opportunity to have our faith strengthened because we're, we're praying these prayers that are so vague we would have no idea if God answered them or not. God does not answer vague prayers. And so in your prayers, pray specifically, be specific, and be bold. We get a, an insight into Paul's prayer life in 2 Corinthians 12, and, and here we see he writes that he was given a thorn in the flesh, and this was to keep him from being conceited. This was to keep him humble. And three times God, or Paul asks God to remove this thorn in his flesh, and God replies, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What if Paul had, had simply prayed, you know, God, let your will be done in my life. I think that's a, that's a prayer that I pray often. It's a Christian prayer. It's not a bad prayer. But if Paul had prayed this, he might never have understood the fact that the thorn was given to him to keep him humble. And he would never know that this thorn was given to him so that he might be a showcase for God's power in the midst of weakness. Paul did not pray vague prayers and we should not either. Because prayer is, is, is humbling ourselves before God, and it's allowing God to produce his will in us, to change our hearts and to change our desires. It's this constant cycle where we pray as we think we should, and God responds, and we get a brief glimpse into God's will in those moments. As we continue to pray, we're going to find that our prayers change. But in the meantime, in our uh, here, weakness and, and ignorance that we currently find ourselves, God provides a grace in the form of the Spirit. Paul goes on and says, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I think most of the time we look at weakness as something to be uh, avoided. Weakness is something to be avoided. I think especially of, of men. I think of young men, of high schoolers, right? Uh, weakness, weakness is pounced upon. Like it does not stand in high school, right? Uh, weakness is the sickly one of the herd. It's the little uh, water buffalo that gets chased down by the lions, right? Because it's too weak-ankled to move. Weakness is to be avoided. It's to be covered up. It's not often seen as a benefit or an opportunity. And I hate, I hate showing weakness. I especially hate showing weakness uh, in public when I go shopping. And so as a man, uh, when I'm shopping for my wife's bath bombs at Walmart, I would rather walk around the store four times than stop and ask someone who has literally paid money to answer my question. I'm a man, I can figure this out, right? I'll follow the signs. I don't need help. I don't want help. We rarely see weakness as an opportunity, but that's exactly what we see in this passage. 
This is what Paul is telling us in this passage, that there's grace in weakness. And not only that, but that uh, this is an opportunity. Weakness is an opportunity to experience God's grace. I think the question needs to be asked then in our weakness. Why would I want to experience God's grace? And how does God's grace, how does he show it to us in our sin and in our weakness? I think uh, to answer this question, we could have first looked at what could have been. What could have been our situation? In this section of scripture in in Romans 8, uh, 18 to 25, Paul is telling us of our current suffering. Right? He's speaking of this future glory that what we're in right now is nothing compared to what is to come. And this is a grace of God, right? This is a, a grace that God gives us, that we have something amazing to look forward to as a result of being adopted as sons and daughters because of the work of Christ. And, and God could have, he could have left it there, right? He could have, he could have said, just, just wait, just wait and suffer, but don't worry, you have something really good coming. That could have, that could have been our situation. That could have been how God decided to deal with us as we waited for future glory. But our God goes one step further, goes one step further, and he provides an opportunity for us to experience his grace and a foretaste of that future glory right here, right now, because the work the Spirit is doing in our lives. If there was no weakness, then there would not be hopeful expectation of the future. If there was no weakness, then we would not have a a full concept of God's love and grace and help in the midst of our suffering. And this is the grace right here in this verse we see. This is the grace that we receive in the midst of our weakness. That the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is the solution to the problem that was presented earlier. Right? That we are weak and This weakness is specifically defined as we don't know how to pray or what to pray for. The solution here from God is that the Spirit helps us, and the help is specifically defined in that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is what the Spirit does on our behalf. And we need to look at this word uh, groaning because there's there's some questions uh, around this word. What is it and who does it? What's it sound like, right? The subject of the groanings and the nature of the groanings is in question. Who does the groaning? Is it the spirit that groans? Or is it the saints which have these groanings stirred up inside them? What is the nature of the groanings? Is this metaphorical? Or is it a a literal, audible groan from the spirit or from the saints when these types of questions come up, we have to remember that we need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. We need to not read our own views in this passage, but remember the the context that we have just come from surrounding this verse. Uh, Some believe that the groanings in this passage are speaking in tongues, the gift of tongue speaking, which is listed as a spiritual gift by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. That these groans might be a deeper language that the Spirit produces in the saints. But um, while you might be able to make that argument from 1 Corinthians 
12, I don't think that it can be read here in Romans for three reasons. Three reasons. First, the groans from the past few verses have all been metaphorical. In verse 22, we read that creation groans, but creation does not literally groan. There's not audible groans, right? You don't walk outside and your landscaping rocks groan at you when you walk by. It does not happen. It's metaphorical. And we see that the groaning by the saints in verse 23 is inward and metaphorical as well. Therefore, we need to not step out of that context. We should not understand the groanings here in verse 27 to be literal. Second, Tongue speaking in the New Testament is always, always, always limited to praise. It's never used in conjunction with prayer or intercession as we see here in verse, verses 26 to 27. And last, one of the last reasons why I don't think this is speaking to uh, uh, tongues, in Romans 8, 26 and 27, we see that this is a universal truth for all Christians. Right? Everybody who has been adopted as a son and daughter, receives this help from the Spirit, receives this intercession, this mediation that the Spirit does on our behalf. The Spirit resides in all Christians, but Paul states in 1 Corinthians 14 that tongues are only reserved for a few. And so for these three reasons, this is why I don't think it's speaking in tongues. But if it's not that, then what are they? Right? What are these groanings? And based on the context, based on where we come from, based on the, um, the presence of the Father and the Spirit in this passage, I believe that it is something along these lines. This is what the groaning is in us. It's an inexpressible longing that the Christians have in their heart to know and to do the will of God. I have this desire in me that I can't put to words to, to, to know the will of God and to do the will of God. Right? And both of these things we struggle with. I struggle to know what the will of God is for my life, and I struggle to do the will of God in my life. And here we find that this comes out in these uh, inexpressible groanings in our soul, in our spirit. And we find that God, through the Spirit, is helping us in the midst of this problem. Because the Spirit as we have seen, has been sent to mediate and help us because he understands our situation and he understands God's mind. We, the saints, are called to petition the Father. We're called to ask the Father. And we're called to receive grace from the Spirit in his intercession, in our weakness. So let's look at the final verse, the final few verses here, and see the role that the Father plays in this passage? What does the Father do in this passage? Well, we're going to find that the Father does two things, that the Father knows and the Father wills. That in this problem that we have, that we don't know what to pray, that the Spirit intercedes, the Father knows and the Father wills. Verse uh, 27 says this, and, and he who searches hearts, this is God, this is a description of God that is used throughout Scripture, we're going to look at that in a second. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And I think here in this last verse that our weakness is sharply contrasted with the Father's strength, with the, the Father's inexhaustible understanding and knowledge, his unmeasured power and desire to relate 
to his creation. But I can't help but uh, continue to see a problem that is carried throughout Romans. Uh, God has a problem here. And God has a problem in Romans. That because of our sin, God can't relate to his creation. We serve a a holy God who is apart and separate and, and can't be in sin or involved with sin. And we are sinners and God can't relate to us. It's a problem that God has set out to solve. And and it's solved, as we've seen in Romans, right, on on a grand scale because of Christ's work on the cross. That Christ redeemed the chosen, that Christ has uh, covered, or God has covered our sin with Christ's blood. This is a a macro solution, right? But here, I think we find a, a, a micro solution. We find this individualized solution that God relates to the individual and is uniquely involved in their life because the Spirit dwells in the hearts of the saints. That the Spirit dwells with me individually and God can relate to the Spirit and through the Spirit to us. And I think this is a solution also to the problem that we have. This is a solution to the problem that we have because here in this verse we see that God searches hearts. God knows our hearts. He knows and he sees. And uh, this is a problem. This is a problem for us. That God knows the depth of our heart, understands the depth of our sin. This idea that God searches hearts is, is used throughout Scripture. I'll, I'll point to just one. Um, Jeremiah 17 in the Old Testament records God's dealing with the sin of Judah. Judah has sinned and God is um, speaking to them. And in the middle of this declaration from God where he's uh, cursing man for trusting in himself, he's cursing cursing Judah for turning from God and trusting in themselves, he says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And in our sin... God searches hearts and he finds sin. That he searches our hearts and, and as, uh, as Calvin would say, he, he searches the heart of man and sees an idol-making factory. Right? We've got it down the line, dialed in. We're really good at pursuing sin and false idols. And this is what God sees in us, and, and here we would remain in our weakness and in our sin if not for the saving work of Jesus Christ because through the work of Jesus Christ we have an opportunity to receive the Spirit of God who dwells in our hearts and when God looks at the heart of the adopted son or daughter he does not see sin, he does not see idols, but he sees the mind of the Spirit and his intercession on our behalf. What a mercy from God. What a mercy from God. God sees the mind of the Spirit, and when he looks at our hearts, the mind of the Spirit is perfectly in step with the mind of the Father because they are from the same Trinitarian reality. What we find here is a final grace of God in these few short verses. That the entire Trinitarian reality is working here to comfort us in the middle of our suffering and to support us in our Weakness. God does not leave us 
waiting in the middle of our suffering for some future glory, but he is present and active right here and right now, bringing the full weight of the Trinity to bear on our hearts and lives, guiding and directing and filling in the gaps of our weakness. This verse says that the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of the Father. Uh, And if we really look at this, it it might seem uh, redundant. It might seem a little redundant, right? Well, Well, of course the Spirit is interceding according to the will of the Father. He's from the Father. They're of the same mind. So what is it getting at here? I think, I think it's this, that the, the intercession of the Spirit, right, that go-between in our weakness was determined by God the Father to happen. That God looked, God knew that his creation would fall and that God knew he would send a help in the midst of our weakness. God determined that we should be given this grace in our weakness. The Father's uh, sovereignty And his plan for our lives comes into focus here. His comfort and compassion is expressed in a depth of understanding and care that we can't imagine that even in our inability to communicate with God, God is providing us a means to communicate with him. Even when we don't have the words to say God is speaking for us, that even when we're lost in the fog of life, God is guiding and directing our steps. So three things here as we close. I think from this passage from 26-27, there is something that we should know, there is something that we should do, and there is something that we should be. First, Christian, know that in the middle of your suffering, the Spirit is interceding for us just as the Father planned from eternity past. We have a perfect mediator who understands our situation is bringing the full weight of the trinity to bear on our weakness christian know the spirit is interceding for you second christian pray boldly and specifically knowing that prayer answered either in the positive or the negative is an opportunity to learn the will of god for your life god does not answer vague prayers and we are called to pray specifics Third, Christian, be comforted. That in our weakness and in our inability to know what to pray, be comforted because the Father knows and the Father wills in power. I I think that um, sometimes I have a a rear view faith, right? I, I look back at the cross and I see that God worked at the beginning, right? And what an amazing truth that is. Uh, but I, I think I also have this, this vague future-focused faith that things will be solved in the future. Sometimes, though, I, I struggle to see God working in my life right here in, in the middle, in the here and now. But what we see in these two verses, in this whole section of Romans, is that God is good at the beginning. That he sent Christ to be the substitute sacrifice for our sins. That God is good at the end, that these present sufferings are not worth comparing to the future glory, but that God is also good in the middle, that there is grace in weakness, and weakness is an opportunity to experience grace because my heart is connected with God's heart through the Spirit who is interceding on my behalf. 
Here we see that God gives us a perspective, right? What is to come is nothing in comparison to my current suffering. But God also gives us a promise here, and and I'll leave you with a glimpse of where Paul is going uh, next week. Verse 28 reads, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 